Hello and welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Host Jay Wilmington here, joined by co-host Julian Bravo. And uh, Julian, we've had a little bit of a hiatus. Chelsea had a short hiatus themselves with a couple of matches postponed following the untimely death of the Queen. And then you and I had some life stuff. We weren't able to get together and do a pod. Um, so this is this is great to be back together and we're going to be able to catch up about a couple of matches that happened since we, since we last spoke and also just kind of talk... Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in October. I think nine matches for Chelsea in the month of October. So there's just a lot going on. But uh, first, Julian, since it's been a little while since we've uh, talked, how are you, sir? Uh, I am well, and there are definitely positives and negatives to that. It is unfortunate we haven't had an opportunity to maybe discuss some of the more recent games in depth. But I do feel like this gives us a little bit more of a broad photo as to what's going on with the club, because at least now we have a little bit more of a sample and we can kind of start to make some assessments based off what we've seen in some recent results. Yeah, when last we spoke was really just at the beginning of really the Grand Potter era and, you know, so hard to make conclusions, um, so many things that we want to draw conclusions about immediately, but hard to do with such a small sample size. But, you know, at least for me now, after after four or five matches in charge here, I think we're starting to see a, a little a little more of a data pool and some things that we can draw some some conclusions um, from or at least at least some speculation. So um, but, but Julian, why don't we why don't we start here and kind of mention start with the Palace game about 10 days ago now last weekend where Chelsea went to sell Selhurst Park and, and came away two one winners um that that match was um it was quite a match I think I think now it's easier to say but it even felt like at the time in kind of the way the match went down maybe a little bit of a turning point for Grand Potter and Chelsea um but Julian you know take me through your experience with that match with Crystal Palace and and some of your thoughts there um I would you know particularly we can dissect the game a little if you like um but you know since we didn't have a chance to talk through it in detail um you know what were your overall thoughts about that Palace match I say with every single match, it doesn't matter who we're playing, that anytime we get a result on the road, it's going to be a good result. And I know it might have put it towards the end, but getting three points away at a ground where we have had a lot of issues in the past is always going to be a good result to me, no matter what the circumstances were. But I think what helped in addition to the fact that we earned the three points was I honestly saw progress from the club. I saw that we were creating a lot more opportunities from open play, and that's been a big priority and theme I've been looking for with the transition of managers was to maybe have some more opportunities created because I'm not here to bash on Thomas Tuchel in any capacity. I have had some criticism towards his ability to get the attack going, and just having a little bit more free-flowing of an attack and creating those opportunities is basically all I was asking for and looking for at the start of the Graham Potter reign. And we had that in abundance. I felt like we were by far the better club in that match, and we definitely deserved a result. And even better than that was the fact that we went down, and we not only found a way to level the game, but we also found a way to find a winner too. So there was a lot of determination within the club, something we haven't always seen not just with Tuchel, but with managers in the past, where if we went down, that was it. You could kind of count us out of a match. Yeah, and I think that stood out to me, in, in particularly in this Palace match, for, for well, in part because Palace scored so early and scored so much against the run of play. It, there were some similarities to just 
the the feelings of frustration that we've had over the last couple of years, but but especially kind of at the end of the time of Tuchel, where it just seemed like anything that could go wrong would go wrong for us, and particularly where we could have, you know, whether it was us creating guilt edge chances and not being able to put the ball away, or, you know, effectively just neutralizing another team's attack for essentially the whole game, only for them to pop up for one moment and and score a winner, score score an equalizer, and just that frustration that goes with that of having so much momentum for a whole match, but then not being able to make to capitalize on that. Um, you know, I think that it there you can have a little bit of oh my goodness, here we go again when when that starts to go against you. And I thought speaking to that resiliency that you know, like you said, Chelsea got down early and they had to fight back, um, and, and that's hard to do. I think when you found yourself in those patterns of play so familiarly, where you're chasing a game that you really know that you shouldn't be chasing, um, and, and so you know, the other part for me in that is like you said about the you know maybe a late winner. Uh, maybe some people would see that as kind of a you know gasp of relief, like we we got away with one. But I don't know from a momentum perspective when you're trying to build some some direction with the team. Um, sometimes a, a big momentous goal like a last minute winner is, does more for you. I think, I mean, I mean, maybe it's all just sort of hearsay and locker room morale type stuff and not anything more concrete than that. But I just think that, you know, the, the, and again, it's, it's Connor Gallagher who played at Crystal Palace last year and was sort of their golden child last year. Um, you know, had such great relationship with Vieira and, and for him to be the one too, I just think there's that extra kind of like, you know, extra feel good story there for, for Chelsea. Um, so, you know, again, I think, I think that's one of the beauties about how we look at things in, in sports, but, but football in, in general, there's so much of an eye of the beholder thing. Cause I think there are kind of, if you really want to see, um, you know, that maybe if you're not so sure about Potter, you can look and say, yeah, I, I didn't see what I thought we needed to do here. And we kind of got away with one. Um, but man, to me, that's a really cynical approach. Cause what I saw was a team that had a lot more, um, they had some differentiation in attack. I mean, I think we're, I was listening to somebody talk about Aston Villa today and just how bland they are going forward, but it reminded me of some of the conversations of Chelsea um, the last several months where, you know, there's just it was just such predictable patterns of play and the speed of play and, and who was going to be where, and it just it seemed like it became easy for teams to, to set up shop against us, and that's something I've noticed here. I'm sure we'll talk about more with the other matches, but even against Palace, they're just Chelsea had some creativity to them and they moved the ball quickly, had energy and just continued to, to come at Palace. So yeah, Julian, for me, that was a game that actually, you know, I sure I'm really happy. We turned one point in one point into three late, but I thought there was a lot to be excited about even prior to the, uh, the game winning goal from Gallagher. The only thing I really wanted from uh, the first handful of matches, I was determined not to take too much away from any of our results, whether they be really positive results or really negative results, because at the end of the day, I think Tuchel is one of the best managers in the world. And it's not so much that we didn't have a great squad that he wasn't capable of having great results with. I think it was something that the team, in a sense, kind of lost their way for whatever reason. Maybe some of the players were unhappy. Maybe some of the players weren't uh, as determined to get the same sort of results as they had in the past. But there were some changes that needed to be made because this team felt like it wasn't on the same page. And the only thing I was really looking for, especially in this match, which was just our second match with Tuchel in charge, was, correction, with Potter in charge, was just an idea, a direction with the club. And it looked like even when we went down, we were the better team. We were the better team before 
we went down, we were the better team after we went down, and then we were the better team after we equalized. And we always looked like the team that was going to get the winner. It never did look in doubt. There were times you could have questioned whether or not we were going to win the match, but at no point were you ever really overly concerned that they were going to be the winners. And again, credits to a couple of players here. Obviously, our two goal scorers, Aubameyang, who I was very critical of the signing, but Ironically, I feel like he's a better fit for the club now because there's a little bit more direction for having an actual number nine in the team as opposed to what we had with Tuchel still in charge. And then in addition to that, Connor Gallagher, of course, who massive credits to Connor for not celebrating because I would have celebrated, especially if it was my boyhood club and it was a goal that mattered a lot in such an amazing way with an amazing finish. So credits to Connor and Credits to the entire team for the resiliency because that right there to me is one of the best performances we've had this season without question. Yeah, Connor certainly has a cooler head than than I would because there's just even the instant emotional reaction, even if you kind of caught yourself and calmed down your celebration. Like, you know, I've always been a little bit impressed. I've thought Connor seems like a guy who's older than, you know, he's older uh, in years or wisdom than he really is in age. But I, I thought that was a was a good example there, although it would have hurt my feelings to see him go crazy and celebrate there for for Chelsea. Um you know, but going back to that match too, there was also you know Sterling early in the first half after we'd given up a goal. You know, had a had a great chance that came off the inside of the post, and there were just some of those like classic moments that felt like, man, this is not going to be our day. We you know just all the little little close calls. But you know, again, just going back to the statistics, you know, Chelsea takes thirteen shots to Palace's seven, and while only three shots were on target, they still had ended up with an XG of almost three times what Palace was. And, you know, I think we've talked a lot about, I don't know that that's either of our favorite stats, but it, but it's at least telling in that, you know, this wasn't, you know, maybe Chelsea came up with a late goal, but it certainly wasn't a, a, a lucky in the sense of, of the domination of the passage of play or possession or the amount of passes uh, completed. You know, Chelsea, Chelsea were all over that match. And then, you know, I, one thing going from this match into the next two, I think that, you know, you touching slightly on what you said and, and, and wanting to see, at the very least, a change in, in the way Chelsea played and, and, and a little bit different approach under a new manager. I think the question always for any new manager and any club bringing in a new manager is, you know, how do we separate sort of the, you know, the, the new manager bounce, so to speak, from actual sustainable growth? And obviously we're still, even as we sit here now, with just three, four matches to talk about, probably still too early to really say... Um, with any certainty, but but I think that's something that I I have been thinking in my head as I've been watching these last few matches. I'm thinking in my head as I'm sitting here talking uh, to you about them now. Um, but Julian, tell me, you know, tell me from your perspective, how do you, how do you go about that process and sort of watching a match like this, you know, knowing what you'd like to see, and then sort of factoring in or filtering in that other thought of like, well, it's pretty pretty common to get a little bit of a bounce out of a manager how do we know you know what's the level of consistency required for that to seem a little more sustainable well i really appreciate you bringing up that point because i honestly spaced that but it was my biggest reason for not wanting to take too much from any of these results because i did expect a little bit of a bounce and i feel like a lot of people expected a little bit of a bounce and our players are performing better and it's always a little weird to me when you get better performances from players that had been underperforming up to that stage the player you can obviously look at and say was putting his all throughout the entire season was tiago silva and if the rest of the team is playing to the same level and standard that tiago silva was before tuchel sacking 
then it, it does get a little weird. But at the same time, it's nice to see these players. And it could be just maybe some uh, refreshing ideas, some new ideas brought in by a new manager. So at this moment, it's still one of those things where if we can just see the attack look a little bit more fluid than it had in the past, as opposed to what felt like a lot of the time significant stagnation, then that's all I was really asking for. That's all I'm looking for. And if it looks like we're pretty sound defensively, at least from that Palace game, it didn't look like we were conceding too many opportunities. So if we're improving on one side of the ball, a side that needed desperate improvement, while at the same time maybe maintaining a lot of the defensive uh, structure that Thomas Tuchel had, then that's huge progress. It's a step forward. Yeah, I think, you know, we could all agree that that, you know, the th- getting three points out of the Palace match was much needed. It really helped the team kind of, you know, just, just again, stay stay up kind of where they are and not have to, you know, give take on more water as a ship uh, as, as if, you know, with the other teams in the league that continue to win, Arsenal and Manchester City in particular. Um, you know, obviously it's a big three points, but I, but I think what it did for me is is it made me really really intrigued for the for the next match which was the Champions League match at home against AC Milan because I, you know um you know this is well documented but but Tuchel gets let go after the loss to Dynamo, Dynamo Zagreb and then and then in a really tough position here comes Graham Potter with his first match in charge of Chelsea it's a Champions League match against Salzburg and you know we we drew and so with one point out of two matches it's just like Man, if we don't win this AC Milan match, particularly if we lose it, it's just like we're just kind of playing out the rest of these matches, it's seemingly. And yet, obviously, just based on the table, there was real clarity that if we could somehow get three points, then we were right back in, if not favorites, certainly right back in the mix, um, you know, to go through with a real chance to win the group. And so, you know, I thought that would be pretty telling. How did Chelsea approach that match? And then what was their actual mentality like? in the match and I'll tell you what man I was I was I was equally surprised and impressed because I was surprised that you know Milan didn't really present any sort of threat to us I mean I th- I thought Rafael Leao had a few, had some you know dangerous moments here and there but my goodness you want to talk about a team that just looked a lot better than their opposition Chelsea came out and kind of dominated that match from start to finish um you know, I thought the I thought the match was interesting, and and there was enough talent with Milan to like, you know, not make you feel totally comfortable, uh, a Chelsea fan, especially after only one one goal. But man, Julian, I, I, you know, share share with me some of your feelings about that Milan game because for me, that's where the turning point was. Um, it was a performance I was I was a little caught off guard by, to be honest with you. And that just shows that you've been a Chelsea supporter for a while because it has been quite a few years since I felt that happy about a performance in Europe, especially in the group stages. Because when we do get a team that in theory should be on equal footing as us, I mean, AC Milan are champions of Italy. They're a very good team. I didn't expect us to be as dominant as we were, but in reality, we're still Chelsea. We still should be one of the very best teams in the entire world. We have one of the best squads, best squad depths in the entire world. So these are the type of performances I remember, oh, I want to say maybe the first reign of Jose Mourinho. And there were times with a manager like Ancelotti where we just looked absolutely better than a team that in theory should be just as equal to us and put up a very strong challenge. And I I didn't see this one coming. I feel like a lot of people didn't see this one coming. This also felt like a trap game. I mean, Milan only needed a draw. They didn't need to get too much out of this game. But 
getting an early goal and from that point going forward it just seemed like i i hadn't seen this club in a very long time yeah and uh, some of the stats from that game i think could be a little bit deceiving because from a possession standpoint it was almost exactly 50 50 um you know, but when you start actually, you know, if you went back and watched that match or you look at where the where where possession was going on, what was actually happening throughout the match, I mean, all of Milan's possession effectively was just completely meaningless. They took only uh, they took only four shots the whole game, only one on target. I mean, Keppa basically had nothing to do. Chelsea, on the other hand, created three big chances. They had you know, six shots on target. They had an XG again, almost three times of that, that of their opponent and one by three goals. So, you know, I think again, some of this data starts to look a little murkier. If Milan, you know, if it ends up two one and not three nil, there's a, you know, they get, they get one break or one of our Chelsea goals doesn't go their way, but suddenly you're going from sort of leaning on the margins and talking about match after match of the one thing that went wrong or the one missed chance to now sort of like, well, yeah, we still missed a bunch of chances and we still, and we won by three goals. And I, it's just, it's like almost this overwhelming, um, or at least in that Milan match, it was just this kind of like killer edge to a team that I thought had been a really long time since he'd seen. And, and a team that just looked like they had the bit between their mat, their teeth and just weren't, weren't going to give anything away. Um, I think Reese James, you know, he's been so excellent this season, and I think he really was kind of the tip of the spear in that regard that, you know, he had an assist and a goal, and in that second half just just kind of took the match over as an individual. But but he has sort of become this this face of this Chelsea charge or whatever it is, that, that he's not only one of the beloved players on the team and, and from, you know, grown up inside the academy – um, geez, he even has a sister on the women's team, but that he also is just so uh, individually dominant as a, as a player um, and as as a right back to be able to take over a game the way he does. It's almost impossible because you can just neutralize. You should be able to neutralize a guy that plays out on the flank that far, and yet whether he's man marking another team's best player and just making them you know get frustrated on Twitter like Zaha, or he's kind of just rifling a two hundred mile an hour shot past the keeper's shoulder while he. Uh, you know, while his jersey catches on fire, it's pretty stunning. But he he kind of, for me, epitomizes of what this whole team is is about right now. And they just, you know, the other thing to me, Julian, and, and we'll get we'll get back more into maybe talking about the Milan match specifically. But it's coming to mind as I think of this is, you know, if you just kind of look at the the feelings around the club and then some of the individuals at the the last few weeks, last month of the time with Tuchel. I mean, there's just a lot of underperforming players. I mean, Mason Mount's an in- interesting case study to me right now. I've seen everything from people sort of saying, you know, uh, was he? He kind of was downing tools there at the end of the Tuchel reign. Like he had a match after match after match, just sort of nowhere. And guess what? Now he's suddenly the last two matches like all over the place again. Um, but but I think that's you know, I guess if you really want to just blame Mason or say he you know he he just flipped a switch back on I don't think that's the history we've seen from that player but then go ahead and look at some of the individuals that were having having real trouble um you know I I don't we'll see how well Pulisic is able to bet in but after the Wolves match you know just a, a guy that suddenly looked like he was part of things again and he had a great finish and he just you're watching Broja Broja scores his first goal for the club um it just there's times when it feels like things are clicking at a club or things are kind of all moving in the right direction that suddenly it's like players on the margins are starting to come in and you know we rotated our squad so heavily between the Milan and the Wolves match 
and we looked just as strong, uh, pretty much with a total with a with a heavily rotated lineup and some of our most key players not not in there. And it's just like, man, to me, those are signs of something sustainable. Those are signs that from a club level, there's positivity going on, and this manager's changing things in a positive way that aren't just sort of like, hey, I had a good feel for what this op- opposing manager was going to do in this particular match, so I kind of out you know, my tactics were just better than his. It's like, no, this seems like a, like a deeper level change that's sort of being bought into, um, you know, throughout the club. And you're seeing it not just from some of the star players, but I mean, you know, Obama Yang looks like he's kind of coming to life and it, 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 it just suddenly you start to look around and Loftus cheek looks excellent. Um, you know, you've got multiple left backs, could Grand Chilwell to choose from. So I don't know. Do you agree with me? I mean, is that just kind of too hokey and too like, you know, trying to see, too many things after just a couple of appearances, or do you see some of that as well? That suddenly players that were on the margins are are clicking again, and suddenly you know fringe players look pretty capable, and and just the general direction of the squad seems to be kind of moving all in unison. I always like to look for something that can maybe justify what the eye is seeing, and in this case, something that's been really nice about these last three performances is that most of our chance creation has come from our forward players, which is a very positive sign because it is well known at this point that our wingbacks were huge and important in Tuchel's system. And they still are very much so in this current system, but it seems like we're just getting better results from our attackers because we're not overly reliant on the width that we used to be. We can play a little bit more central because the players are able to progress the ball quicker. I know that some people have been a little critical of Jorginho, but I've appreciated the fact that Jorginho has actually been more willing to look forward, play the ball forward, play the ball early. Because if all of these players who seem to be, well, better directed on what their assignments are, continue to play the ball forward, we have the ability to attack from multiple positions and angles as opposed to what oftentimes felt like maybe a little bit more of a one-dimensional attack. So in the Palace and Chelsea game, it was uh, Raheem Sterling that created the most chances. And in the Milan game, it was Mason Mount that created the most chances. So we're finally starting to see some chance creation. Raheem Sterling has been great, one of our best players, probably our best attacking player up to the point of Tuchel's departure. So that's a huge positive to see right there. And I always want to give the players the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, it wasn't the manager that caused them to underperform. I wanted to give Mason Mount some sort of justification that he's played so much football for such a young player that it could have just been burnout on his end. But given that if you have a couple of players that really start clicking and everybody has looked better since Potter has taken over, it's going to result in more chances, better opportunities, better positions for the entire team. And it just kind of feels like we've compressed the pitch in a little where before we allowed them a lot more space. We allowed opposing teams a lot more space, but oftentimes it's a little bit more difficult for players to get past the halfway line without being pressured, without losing the ball. We seem to just be in control better overall. And that allows our attackers to also be in better positions when we do retain the ball or when we do take over possession. So that's the way I've seen it and the way I've tried to justify it, maybe in a little bit more of an objective manner. But I can see exactly what you're going for on this as well. And the AC Milan game was another great example of how we were able to do that better. Yeah, one big, you know, unfortunate sour note that came out of that Milan game shortly after scoring his first goal for the club, Wesley Fafana has to leave the the match with a knee injury that I think initially, I don't know about you, but I, I it just looked like, 
you see with a major knee with an ACL, MCL, something, something interior torn, um, just looked like, oh man. And then to see the pictures of him on crutches after the match and just a- everything kind of looked like what you see when you're about to get news of a, of a big knee injury and somebody being out for the season. Um, from all reports that we've heard, it sounds though that we did get a break because there's talk that he could even be, you know, back in time for the, for the world cup. I think from a Chelsea perspective, he's probably somebody we see, you know, after the World Cup, um, but but you know that's that that's a pretty big you know it's Fafana is an interesting guy because obviously he's almost like how many news stories down now is his signing and that that was just a few weeks ago is at the very top of the charts that his his record signing and did we need to do that and um, you know being a big Tuchel signing and then Tuchel's gone and now Potter's dealing with him and now he's hurt I mean it's just man life comes at you fast in the Premier League but I think we'll it, it, you know it's excellent news that he's not going to be out out forever I think it's certainly you know a guy like Tiago Silva I just think man you know that 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 ramps up the pressure obviously Koulibaly's gonna have to be you know I know you haven't been super impressed with him so far and I and I certainly see why I think he's gonna have to be you know heavily involved and then we'll get to see some more uh Trevor Shaloba who's been playing you know quite a lot since particularly since Fofana went out and and we'll, we'll get a we'll get his chance as well um you know Julian I I thought you know, going going to Wolves again. I think the two thoughts for me going into that Wolves match were, you know, following such a such an excellent match um, with so with with stakes against Milan. I think two things I feared. One was just like, are we going to have the mental letdown of like going back to just sort of a league game against a bottom half of the table kind of a team, and are we going to be able to have sort of the same you know, energy levels and, and mentality as you do for a, you know, a home Champions League night match against a European power like Milan should be pretty easy to get excited about. Um, and then when I saw the starting lineup, it's like, well, gosh, you know, Reese James has been the first name on the team sheet. He's getting arrested today. Jorginho's not in there. You know, Pulisic is getting a start. It's it, it just like, man, it, maybe we're not going to have any fluidity or, or sort of continuity from that last match because we're making a bunch of changes. And so, you know, do we just look super hodgepodge again? And, and Havertz back up top after Aubameyang had scored. And, he, you know, and instead I just, it, it was like to me the Wolves match ends up being further confirmation of what it appears like. And that's this manager has an understanding of the personnel uh, available to him and is also apparently getting his message through on the training pitch because it's not just a very hand-selected 11 that seems to be able to play with this manager. So again, Wolves being bottom of the half, bottom half of the table competition. But, but to me, those are often the teams that Chelsea struggle the most to play decent against because I don't know, maybe it's just harder mentally to get up for, or you expect the points to come, but um, you know, I, I was, I was highly impressed that we could chop and change the way we did against Wolves and come out with a still highly attacking, highly creative, fluid um, style of play. Well, I feel like this greatly ties in together the points that we've made up to this point, because one thing that happened after Fofana went out was you'd imagine losing a player that is one of our record signings of all time would cause a severe drop-off in the team, but it was essentially plug-and-play. We substitute in, and after that, we didn't look any worse than we had before. If anything, our team was just as equal to the challenge and looked better, and that's what was surprising about this match was there were a lot of changes, and one that I thought was really interesting was Connor Gallagher getting a start in this match and in a more forward position, and the two players that really stood out early in this match were two players that 
aren't regulars up to this point this season, and that was Asfili Quetta, who, my God, it looked like he dialed back the years because he was kind of everywhere, especially early on in that match, created a number of opportunities, had the most touches out of any player on our team. So the fact that you can plug and play a player like Asfili Quetta and he can have success, his best match of the season is really interesting. Connor Gallagher looked lively, had so much energy, and definitely looked up for the challenge early in that match. So these are two players that rather than wasting their opportunity, they embraced it and looked good. And rather than saying, okay, we're seeing a huge drop off, they're actually challenging for their position saying, hey, in big matches, we deserve some playing time too. I know that might scare some people with Espelicueta because we probably don't have too many of these performances with him, but it's nice to see. I would love to see that from all of these players. Koulibaly, had his best performance, I would say, uh, so far this season. And I think it helped him playing a little bit more central as opposed to on the left side of the defense. So positive for Koulibaly. And one thing we haven't even addressed, which I imagine would be a huge deal for you, is the fact that Azpilicueta, not Azpilicueta, um, Kepa is now our starting goalkeeper. He has sufficiently displaced uh, Mendy as our number one. And I don't see that changing. It feels pretty set. And Truth be told, he hasn't done anything wrong to this point. And it's nice to see because even he is having probably one of his better runs of form in a Chelsea shirt. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I've, 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 uh, at some point in my life, I made the choice to ride with Keppa. And I, 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 it, we rode, we've ridden together through some pretty hard times, me and Keppa, and through some times that any other sane person would have, uh, looked at their, uh, riding partner and said, Hey, man, I can't do this with you anymore. But I don't know. Something about that guy. I just keep, I keep, there's something in me that believes in him. And, uh, so I, I yeah, I, but I think this, also goes to again when we're bringing up like hey even Keppa looks pretty good like this really speaks to this point that we're saying you know you just brought it up again like oh yeah Gallagher and oh well hey Koulibaly look had his best match like it just it's like it's hard to, it's it's almost hard to come up with all the guys that suddenly are like oh yeah he's looking at his best and oh hey did you see that looping soft timed finished header from Havertz in the Wolves match I mean just some of the stuff that just has not been there for for so long and and you know again I, I I'm a we talked about a little bit in preparation for this not a lot but but sort of the the idea of a fan of moving from one manager to the next and and somebody like me who is a pretty big Thomas Tuchel fan I suppose you'd say I mean to me that's always a little bit f- strange of a concept because any manager any Chelsea manager that I'm I'm a big fan of so to speak maybe besides Frank Lampard because we had a history with him but but I'm I'm a big fan of because they did something as a manager and progress that they're having with the team to kind of make me one. And so, uh, you know, I am, but I'm also not committed to any individual over the success of the team. And so, you know, I, I will never be able to understand the minutia and break down, you know, how you can take a, a leader of a group with fairly the same ideas that used to be very successful and why they're not successful anymore and whether it's just uh, not fresh enough ideas or a loss in commitment from your from the people that are that are being asked to carry that out for you or you know I think it's an it's a fascinating uh, experiment in, in human psychology but but just on a much less deep level, I just want Chelsea to be good. And if Graham Potter's going to be the guy that's going to make Chelsea better, then I want Graham Potter. And so I'm, you know, maybe that's fickle. Maybe, maybe it's not, but it just, to me, it's like, Hey, I'm all, I'm, I don't have anything negative about Tuchel. Don't hate the guy. I hope he can find success. Hopefully not at a Premier League rival, like some of our previous managers, but you know, I, I can root for him 
but it but it's so secondary in my mind to just hey I he's gone from Chelsea what's going on with Chelsea and where are we going and that's Graham Potter now so maybe it maybe it's hypocritical to like really like Tuchel and then sort of like jump on and think ah, well I think this Potter guy can really do a job but I don't know man you and I have watched years and years of football and it's not just Chelsea I mean it is the reality that there are so many times when a manager's message and the success that he's found with his club just isn't there anymore and and it's not I'm sure always for the same reason I think you know I I, I think it I'm saying this a little tongue-in-cheek because it's so silly that these conversations are currently happening but I mean I've seen a lot of stuff in the last month about Jurgen Klopp not being the guy for Liverpool fans and and he just think like are you kidding me this guy built everything you have um but it's also a little hard to argue right now that whatever the Klopp Liverpool system is is as effective as it was. Um, can they get back there? Probably, but uh, you know, it, it, it is reality that even the best situations in football eventually aren't the best anymore. And um, you know, for Chelsea, I just find it very refreshing, and I think I'm not alone that the club seems to be moving in a direction that is up and not sort of off of and away from you know, what we, what we had accomplished. Um, and I think that just is such a refreshing experience. I think I want to give a little bit of background context into what you're referencing right here. And that for anybody that might not be aware, there's still a lot of people that hold Tuchel in very high regard. Like they feel like he was wrong. So they feel like in theory, he should still be our manager that he was on the verge of turning a corner and they're not fully on board with Graham Potter yet. And this isn't necessarily either of us saying we are fully on board with Graham Potter. We're 100% committed that he's going to be our manager for the next 20 years, and we have made the absolute best decision. But I think what me and you are both trying to say is we see positives. We see things going in the right direction. And it's extremely hard for somebody right now to argue against that. And if there's somebody that has some examples of how we haven't looked like an improved club over these last handful of matches, then I would love to hear it because... As of this moment, I don't see it. We're getting performances from players that we honestly didn't expect to get much out of this season, and that's great. All of the players seem to have a better idea of what the manager wants them to do, and this isn't us knocking Tuchel, because honestly, I would prefer if we didn't talk about him as much, maybe in episodes going forward, because you're right, whatever he does now, as long as it doesn't pertain to us, especially if he's managing in another league, then uh, good luck to him. I mean, we see Conte now in our league again, and he's a manager I liked a lot, and it's really hard to wish him success at Tottenham, but after he left Chelsea, I said, I feel like we wronged you, but at the same time, I'm not going to continue to hold a candle for you for the rest of your career. Even with Mourinho, who at times felt like a dad to a lot of us Chelsea supporters, after he left the first time around, as much success as we wanted him to have outside of the club, it was something we had to let go and focus on what was at the club, what was ahead of the club. And that's, I feel like, what you're trying to say with Tuchel here as well. But I like what we're doing right now. I think a lot of people like what we're doing right now. And if we continue in the same form, then hopefully we will forget about everything that has happened already in just a couple of months of the season. Well, and here's a little, I'm going to editorialize a little here. And I, I appreciate you for adding that, that color. Cause you're, you're right. I think, I think sometimes you and I are both so much um, just sort of in our daily lives in the middle of whether we're reading articles put out by, uh, you know, journalists about the Chelsea squad or on social media, just sort of in the conversation daily about the squad. I think, you know, there's times where, 
you know, you and I were responding to or talking about things that, that we think are, are sort of out in the open that are like, yeah, maybe maybe not so much. And I, I think those are excellent comments you made. And, and I'm just going to say one more thing to those related to Tuchel. You see it with Mourinho. Um, I think he's still and will always be the manager that is the most tied to Chelsea's Chelsea fans' feelings because um, he's Mourinho. I mean, there's so many reasons for that. And then the success we had in a time we hadn't had success. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, I found something very interesting with Tuchel. I, I came to feel that some of the journalists um, for Chelsea, some of the some of the main journalists, and and uh, you know they're never going to listen to this. So so whether it, whether it's Kinsella or Simon Johnson or maybe Matt Law a little bit to some to some degree, um, had a really unusual relationship towards Thomas Tuchel in my estimation, or at least what I was used to with with our journalists following following the manager. Um, I think he really, really um, kind of charmed them, won them over. Uh, he came in during difficult times. He won a Champions League. I mean, he did a lot. But I think in in that journey, if you're one of those journalists that was in those pre pre match meetings day after day after day after day, I watched these personalities change of sort of of, of talking about him critically to um, kid gloves, um, and, and and part of that happened over the ownership change, and I think where you saw some of those guys who had real connection to the club and a real comfort at Chelsea, they'd been covering the same team with the same owner, uh, the same sources for a long time, suddenly everything was disrupted, and they didn't really have good communication with the club anymore, and suddenly Tuchel was like the old friend who was always reliable, always had the quote, treated them nicely, was gracious, I think he was. And suddenly, I, I I started to see this real interesting thing where there were no real connection to the club anymore for a lot of the Chelsea journalists except for Thomas Tuchel. And then once Bully came in, I don't think I haven't seen that he's made a big effort for that to be different. And and I there became almost this more loyalty to Tuchel himself. And now I'm even seeing it from some of the same journalists in in almost critical articles of Graham Potter as we're having success. Just some of the and again, maybe this is just one man's. Um, you know, uh, blue, uh, the color of my glasses, maybe I'm totally biased here, but, but it's just been very interesting to me. And I, and I bring that up as just why I think Tuchel will continue to be in the conversation of Chelsea a little longer than the typical manager, in part because of that, that I think there are, there are a lot of people still covering Chelsea club, um, that, that had a very special place in his heart. And it happened during a time where they lost all of their connection to the club and, and, still lean uh, still see him pretty favorably um anything you want to add to that no i think it's one of those things where i would hope that tuchel supporters could have given frank lampard the credit for helping build and shape a team that was able to win the champions league ultimately and i would hope that anybody that is looking at Graham potter's success right now can at least appreciate the foundation that tuchel left behind because this isn't Potter's team. Like he might have had some influence because it seems like he might have been in contact with Bully for a little bit. But at the end of the day, a lot of this was what Tuchel puts together. So he saw his blueprint and his uh, footprint on this team pretty heavily in the same way Lampard did when he left the club. So I don't want to knock Tuchel for anything. I'm going to continue to appreciate what Tuchel has left behind. But at the same time, I'm very optimistic and uh, positive about the future we have ahead of us. Uh, and in some ways, it's like our lives, you know, like our lives are shaped by our best friends, our romantic interests, uh, people who are really close in our lives. And not in every case do those people stay in our lives forever. 
But we would be naive to say that the experiences that we had with those people that were such a big part of our lives didn't shape who we are and shape some of the direction of our lives and the choices we made and how we got where we are today. And I see the same thing of being a fan of a club with managers. It's like we're all part of the same tapestry that's continuing to be made, and we're all part of the future and past together. So to me, it's like it's really bizarre to try to not see um, previous managers as part of where we are now because – Frankly, they just they just are. Um, you know, I think we've done a, a decent job anyway of, of kind of talking about this last stretch of play and kind of some of the changes. But, Julian, I, I kind of am also am interested to talk to you about, you know, what's we're, we're in the middle of some big things coming up, too. First and foremost, uh, we, we play AC Milan, another another Champions League match um, almost immediately. I, I don't know. I, coming off just so recently playing them, uh, it, you know, we we had so many good things to say about that match, but tell me what your expectations are here for the for the for the redo in uh, in Milan because I know, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Bakayo Tamori for for one has come out and said, uh, you know, individually and as a team, we that this is not going to be a, a a second performance like they showed in in London. What are you expecting to see? Well, that's fun to hear from Fakayo Tomori. For the record, I have been a huge Fakayo Tomori fan. I know I've been texting you about him for a very, very long time. So it was nice to see our old friend, uh, Big Fick, in the headlines right there. But obviously, we've set ourselves up for a good position right now. So all we really need is a single point from this match, and we're good. But there's no reason to think we can't go in there and take all three based off how dominant we were in the last performance. I... That, that's fine with me. If we get any sort of points from this match, then we're in good shape going forward. In theory, I would expect us to... We have our easiest fixture ahead of us still left, and uh, I would expect us to get a better result against Salzburg this time as well because we just look in better form too. So I just am happy with the point in this one. I don't think three points is out of the question either, so a lot of positivity going into this match. Yeah, and I feel the same way thinking about you know Villa on the weekend too, because I, well, as we say this right now, Steven Gerrard still has a job and um, we're, we're going to be playing Villa after coming off a, a draw against Forrest and, and looking just incredibly impotent. I mean, I watched some of, some of Villa against Forrest and, and Villa in a worse way reminded me of Chelsea from earlier this year where just, man, talk about predictable and just no chance of breaking down an opposition that, yeah, is probably going to be fairly defensive against you, but is also like not very good. And just like never even coming close, I think Ollie Watkins had one shot in 90 minutes, and and he's leading the line. It just, you know, I think that's a another team like Wolves, where Chelsea's catching them at a pretty good time. As long as we've seen so many times, it feels like I'm sure other teams would say the same, but it feels like as a Chelsea fan, how many times have we been victim of the kind of new ban- manager bounce for another team that, by all accounts, is terrible, and then they you know come out with a couple decent performances off a, off a new manager. So hopefully we won't see a change there before Saturday. But I, you know, just just generally uh, talking to you, hearing myself talk, like I think this conversation speaks to the to the excitement levels that Grand Potter's building um, with these just few performances because I, you know, you and I both. Talk to a lot of people in the Chelsea hemisphere, and peop- I, I just think the vibe, the general feelings, like there just wasn't a lot of excitement on match days uh, lately um, prior to, to prior to these last few matches because they're they're just realistically looking at results and and what we'd been doing wasn't a lot of hope of of very solid performances, um, and now 
suddenly it feels like lots of hope again. We're, we're not only back in the Champions League fight for the group, but we're expecting to win the group and go to Milan and maybe even come away with three points. I just think about, oh, gosh, that's such a change in, in mentality of some some fans that had been pretty, whose you know, egos or, or sort of confidence had been pretty battered, and, and it didn't take very long to, to shift that. I, I think some of that's just fandom and, and how much we're dying to all be excited again. Um, but I, like you, and I think we're not alone, just share so much more enthusiasm than I held, you know, 10 days ago. And I even had to rework my expectations because Liverpool is struggling real bad right now. And for the prediction we went to the season, I believe I picked us to finish fifth place, but I didn't foresee a lot of what happened happening. I didn't foresee a manager change. I didn't foresee the team improving. Like the morale seems to be better as well. So many adjustments and changes just from the time we made those predictions that I think fourth place is not only realistic, but I don't necessarily think that maybe even a third place finish is out of the question. I do want to maybe hold back on setting the expectations too high because we still at the end of the day have a lot of deficiencies within the club that need to be worked out first. And I would just be happy at this moment to get out of our group, especially if we finish top. That's what I'm looking at right now before we start looking ahead to what other things this club might be able to do. So I hope a lot of other supporters aren't taking these three wins in a row as too much other than some good form, finding ourselves and a step in the right direction, because that's where you can kind of get yourself trapped is setting the expectations too high and then not delivering. Just continue at the pace we're going. And I feel like we will see a better team than we probably expected at the start of the season. Well, and we'll talk about it more because while it's only, it's just over a month, in fact, a, a month from this Wednesday that will be our last match before the World Cup to take to take a month and a half break. That'll be fascinating for Chelsea and other clubs too. Are they able to kind of keep this positive momentum going through that break? Does it reset or is that actually a time where, you know, you know, a guy like Potter who hasn't been at a club for terribly long can actually make pretty good use of that time with the players that aren't at the World Cup, although unfortunately for Chelsea that's not a whole lot of the squad uh, potentially. Um, yeah, Julian, I, I just think it's so nice to sit here again talking about Chelsea and kind of be able to talk about three wins in a row and then also just some of the excitement we have for stuff coming up and, and kind of feeling like you're back in all these competitions. I mean, you know, the league, you know, I, I, effectively probably we're not going to win the league, um, but I think City, for me, is the only team that probably feels truly insur- truly insurmountable. I I, you know, maybe that'll change with a couple of poor performances, but they look like a juggernaut. I think you know, Arsenal look fantastic. It's just still, for me personally, hard to expect them to have the consistency that we've seen out of Liverpool and City these last few years. But certainly from the first 10 matches, they look like, you know, real, really, really strong. But but if you're telling me, like, Arsenal is one of the two teams we can't catch, I'm just not, I'm not ready to say that yet. So, you know, suddenly it's like, I'm not going to rule out finishing second and winning our Champions League group. And it just, I, I just, man, I was pretty pretty battered just a few weeks ago and so for me even to catch myself having those thoughts is like it's pretty excellent what else what else could we have asked for at least at at this point um you know and and again there's a second layer of excitement potentially for Chelsea fans I think this is down the road but you know part of this Potter hiring from all accounts was sort of the long-term vision and that the goal is to sort of let this guy even if he doesn't have this level of consistency to let him work through this and build something for the, for the long term 
I think that's a whole nother kettle of fish that we as Chelsea fans are going to have to evaluate and kind of, you know, get used to and not start. I think as, as fans, if we're going to allow someone to have that opportunity, then we ourselves need to, to operate under a little different reality where, you know, we can't be so expecting of instant change. But again, that's, that's, that's for the next, you know, that's a, that's for six months, nine months, a year from now, um, um, maybe, but you know, any final thoughts, Julian? I think, you know, it's been really fun to catch back up about this, talk about some wins and, and also set the table here for a couple matches coming up that Chelsea's really well suited for. Um, but, but, you know, before we end here tonight, anything else you want to add to this conversation? Funny enough, not really. I It's weird for me to be in such a positive mind frame when it comes to this club. I feel like it's been a long time since I felt that way. So uh, I'm just happy that, that things seem to be steady for a change. Well, I sure appreciate it, Julian. Um, for those of you listening, uh, appreciate your patience with us while we had a short break. Couple stuff, a couple things going on in each of our lives uh, didn't allow us to be back on, but uh, we'll be back on more regularly now. It, you're probably going to be stuck with me for a solo podcast following the following the the match against AC Milan. Uh, Julian probably rejoining us to talk about the Aston Villa match on the weekend. But uh, again, Chelsea fans, we sure appreciate you checking in with us here on We Ain't Got No Podcast. And until we come back with another episode, this has been Jay Wilmington and Julian Bravo. Wishing you the best.